Well, hello, Sabbath school teachers and enthusiastic studiers of the lesson. It's a real privilege to be sharing with you. You're a group of listeners who love the Word of God and want to rightly divide the Word of Truth for God's glory. My name is Julian Archer, and Matt Parra has kindly invited me to be involved in these Sabbath school podcasts. I agreed to do this on one condition, only one condition, Matt, and that is that I do my first podcast after Daniel chapter 11. So here I am doing my first commentary right on Daniel 11. (laughs) Thanks, Matt. And to make things even trickier, I realised that this week's coronavirus-led temporary closure of all Adventist churches across Australia means that nobody is actually at church sitting in a Sabbath school class. So I don't know who you are or who's listening here, but uh, wherever this finds you, happy Sabbath. You know, watching the world this week, I wondered whether I should change the topic of the lesson from Daniel 11 to Matthew 24 and look at the signs of the last days, you know, things like the pestilences in verse 7 of Matthew 24. But as I studied, I realized that Daniel chapters 10, 11, and 12 are beautifully Christ-centered, and he is exactly what we need in times like these. You know, as we hear the reports of world events, crazy things happening around the world, unprecedented things we've never seen before. Let's also remember the promises like Second Timothy one seven. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Or Isaiah 41, verses 10 and 13, where he says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. For I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, Fear not, I will help you. And you know, Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength. We can go to Psalm 21, it's perfect for times like these two. Sorry, Psalms 91 is a great chapter about God's protection to us. Encourage your, your fellow members, your class members, when you get back together, to keep these texts on hand and refer to them when, if they ever start to feel you know, fear rising in their stomach or, or if they just run out of toilet paper. <laughs> Never forget that God is our protector and our ever-present help in times of trouble. Okay, look, that's enough of an introduction. Let's look at Daniel 11. But before we do, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, as we open your word again now, we just ask that your Holy Spirit be with us. Lord, I pray that you be with me now as I record this, that you be with the listeners, wherever they might be, whatever time in history that they're going to be listening to this from now to the future, Lord, I just pray that you will be with them and that you will help us all to see the beauty of the message that you have for us here towards the end of the book of Daniel. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, look, as, as a proviso, I just want to let you know that I don't plan to go through the chapter verse by verse or the lesson pamphlet day by day. You've been doing that all week. So what I hope to do is to just share some insights, some illustrations, some practical applications of Daniel 11, just to help you take it on more personally. And if you do get the chance to share this study with other people, maybe you can use some of these illustrations for them as well. Last week, Matt did a great commentary on chapter 10, which of course is a prelude to chapter 11. And we saw there the beautiful, powerful vision of a man, Jesus Christ. And chapters 10 and 11 and 12, we know that they're a single incident that starts with a vision of Jesus, then focuses on a long period of battles involving the north and the south and the east and the west, and concludes with a beautiful promise in chapter 12, where Daniel is promised eternal life. So we, we've got to study these chapters, 10, 11, and 12, as a whole. I'm going to focus on 11 at the moment, but we've got to study them, them all together. 
because that's how we get the context of the passage. Now, chapter 11 is a monster chapter. It's 45 verses, and every verse is like cordial. It's super concentrated with metaphors and geographic references. It's like a, like a cryptic commentary on a series of battles that was yet to come after da- uh, Daniel's time, and each side's strategies and tactics were, were outlined in advance. So that's what Daniel saw. We know that God has promised in Scripture to open the eyes of his people, uh, to give us a greater ability to understand his prophecies in the last days of earth's history. And we are certainly living in the last days of earth's history today. But do we understand every detail of chapter 11? And the answer is no. There's a, there was an Adventist seminary professor who specialized and lectured in Daniel, and he used to start his class with, all that I know about Daniel 11, I can tell you in five minutes. And, you know, there's some truth to that. Daniel 11 is a very difficult chapter to understand. But God is revealing light, and we're seeing more and more over the last century and, and more even in recent decades, God's revealing more light to us about it. He reveals his, his, prophetic, his prophetic insights as and when his people need them. So not all understanding and, and prophetic light is given all at once. There's still much that God's people don't understand about the kings of the north and the south. But there are other things, like the grand themes of prophecy, that we truly understand, and in faith we can hold on tight to them. The light that, that shines from Bible prophecy can lead us today, tomorrow, and every day into the future. As Peter wrote so beautifully in Second Peter 1, uh, verses 19 and 21, he said, We have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Okay, look, that's some background there. What's the big picture foundational message in Daniel 11 as as the center of chapters 10 to 12? Well, I'm reminded of the, the story of the old janitor. He didn't have a whole lot of education, but he could read. And as he would wait for the sports games to finish, as, to finish so that he could go and clean up the stadiums, he would sit down on his, on his mop bucket and read the Bible. And uh, a Christian noticed this each time they came and went past where he was sitting. And one day they, they looked down and saw that he was reading the book of Revelation. And this Christian guy said to him, he said, man, old man, do you even understand what you're reading? That's one of the most complicated books in the Bible. And the old man said, I do. I understand it fully. Jesus is going to win. And you know, that's it. That's the big picture message of Daniel 10, 11, and 12. It's the same as every other chapter of Daniel. Jesus is going to win. In chapter 1, we saw God's faithful men lifted up for his glory. In chapter 2, the image reveals that Jesus, the rock cut out without hands, is going to win. In the fiery furnace, in chapter 3, Jesus wins. We see it over and over and over, all through the prophecies, 6, 7, 8, 9. Jesus is going to win. God is in control of what's happening on earth. The big picture, God is orchestrating. And Jesus is going to win. So we, we don't want to miss that point. That even in Daniel 11, this incredibly cryptic, you would say, metaphorical chapter, the real message of it all is that Jesus is going to win. Another thing we need to keep in mind with Daniel chapter 11 is that it's not a vision like in chapter 7 where Daniel saw four beasts coming out of, you know, well, out of different places, but coming out of the sea. But it was in a vision. He saw it. He was able to describe it. 
Whereas Daniel 11 is more of an audio commentary. Like this podcast, you're listening, but you're not seeing. There's no video, there's no visual to go with it. Just a lengthy audio description of events. And also the language of Daniel 11 and 12 is not symbolic in the same way that it is in chapters, say, 2, 7, and 8. Chapter 11 has no images, beasts, or horns. However, its language, you know, whilst it's not symbolic, it certainly is cryptic. It, it's almost like a code. Each sentence condenses quantities of information and many metaphors are employed. So it's something that is difficult to understand, but it is, through the Holy Spirit, understandable. So because of these literary characteristics, you know, the way that it's been written, this particular chapter, there's, it's sort of open to a whole lot of interpretations. And anyone who's been around the traps for a while and, and studied prophecy will know that there are many different interpretations of Daniel chapter 11 and, and, and the details of chapter 11, whether it be the king of the north and the king of the south or, or other aspects of it. Uh, so there, there's a couple of useful guidelines that we need to follow. Uh, as we do an interpretation of Daniel 11. Number one, this vision begins in chapter 10 with a reference to King Cyrus and ends in chapter 12 with God's people delivered. So just like the other prophecies of Daniel, this one doesn't focus on a narrow span of history, but it covers a long time span from the days of the prophet right through to the end of the world. And there are some clear parallels. We, we can see that because there are a number of parallels that can be identified in Daniel 11 statements and previous uh, visions and, and chapters of Daniel. And of course, we know that the book of Daniel works on the repeat and expand idea. So each time uh, a new chapter comes about, it expands on the one before when we're looking at the prophetic chapters like 2 and 7 and 8 and 9. And so we're able to get a lot of understanding about 11 because of that. We, we realize as we look at it that we are actually just expanding on that same period of history from the time of Daniel through to the second coming of Jesus. An interesting side point is that King Cyrus has been identified as somewhat of, of, of a type or a symbol of, of Jesus because it was actually King Cyrus, as we know from other parts of Scripture, you know, Isaiah and different places, uh, who freed God's people from Babylon. And so we, when we go to the, say, book of Revelation, we then see that Jesus comes and frees God's people from Babylon, you know, Babylon 18 verse 4, come out of her, my people. Babylon is fallen and all of that sort of language. And so Cyrus is almost a type of, of Jesus in this uh, particular study. Uh, the, the second principle that we need to look at for interpreting Daniel 11 is that within the text, there are several specific phrases that can be accurately pinned to certain historical events or time periods. So it's not as though we can't understand any of this. There are certain phrases and things in there that can be pinned and once we've pinned all of those, we, we can actually begin to understand more of the rest of the chapter. So even within the Seventh-day Adventist Church today, there are a few schools of thought around the identifications of, for example, the kings of the north and the south and other players in Daniel, in Daniel 11. Each year, there's actually an annual Daniel 11 Prophecy Summit, where seminary professors and lay scholars come together to share their latest findings on Daniel 11. People with opposing viewpoints come together, but they're drawn by a bond much deeper than their personal interpretations of Daniel 11. They have a love of the truth and a keen desire to receive God's promised light, which God is promising to reveal to us as we study and prayerfully dig into his word. I'm sure there's plenty of robust discussion at the Daniel 11 conference, but you know, just like our lesson discussions on Sabbath mornings, these scholars have a desire to engage in deep and honest study of scripture 
in accordance with biblical principles of interpretation. So let's always remember that regardless of our sometimes opposing viewpoints, our discussions must be respectful, prayerful, and clothed in a spirit of humility. 1 Corinthians 13 is a good place to start, the love chapter. Maybe we should read that at the beginning of any study like this. <laughs> you know, the, the 2019, so last year's Daniel 11 conference concluded that there are currently three basic Adventist interpretations of the kings of the North and the South that different Adventist members hold. The first one is that the kings of the North and South represent Turkey and Egypt. The second is that the North and the South represent the papacy and atheism. And the third one is that, and this is one that's come up probably most recently in probably the last 10 years, as guys like Tim Rosenberg and others have been writing about Daniel 11. Uh, this third interpretation is that the king of the north is the papacy and Islam is the king of the south. So those three again, Turkey and Egypt, or the papacy and atheism, or the papacy and Islam. If you want to get summarized details of these three positions, just Google uh, November 6, 2019 Adventist Review, what does Daniel chapter 11 mean? And you'll see an article in there by a guy named Reeves uh, who summarized the, the Daniel 11 summit from 2019. Okay, look, let's, uh, let's jump into the text. Let's go. Uh, Daniel 11 verses 1 to 4. Here we go. I'll just read this through. Also, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I, even I, stood up to confirm and strengthen him. And now I will tell you the truth. Behold, three more kings will arise in Persia, and the fourth shall be far richer than them all. By his strength, through his riches, he shall stir up all against the realm of Greece. Then a mighty king shall arise, who shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will. And when he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken up and divided toward the four winds of heaven, but not among his posterity, nor according to his dominion with which he ruled. For his kingdom shall be uprooted, even for others besides these. Okay, so for, for any reader of Daniel who has already read chapter 8, it's very clear that these verses are describing Medo-Persia and Greece. We know from the history of those empires, the, the way that they rose and fell and then split and divided, and who their leaders were, etc. We know that this is describing Medo-Persia and Greece. Following on from there, in verses 5 to 14 of Daniel chapter 11, we read descriptions of the activities of Syria and Egypt. And if you want an overview of that, just go to Monday's lesson. It gives a good overview of that uh, passage. And then on Tuesday's lesson, it outlines the textual identifiers of the Roman Empire in verses 16 to 28. So it's primarily there talking about what we might call the, the Empire of Rome or pagan Rome under the Caesars, the emperors. So uh, that's primarily what it's looking at, but it also then moves into uh, the Church of Rome or Papal Rome as the pagan Rome morphs into Papal Rome and continues through history. So Let's just uh, have, a, have a bit of a look here. You know, as a, as a lesson teacher, or even as an enthusiastic lesson contributor, just a Bible scholar, you may be tempted to try and, and clearly and once for all identify the key players in chapter 11, like the king of the north is this, or the king of the south is that, as a single king or a single pope. But be careful, be careful, because God is still unveiling the light of this prophecy to us. It's a very important prophecy, and God is helping us, as a collective people, to understand it in detail. But some of the identification process is still hazy, and especially, we're not there yet, but especially verses 40 to 45, which deal with our day-to-day -day and the near future. You see, prophecy is often really hard to interpret accurately and specifically in our own day, while the, while the historical events are still unfolding, but we often see it and understand it in hindsight. 
Sometimes we can look in advance and there's certainly clear things in Daniel that we can look to the future and say, yes, this is going to happen in the future. And if we go to Matthew 24, again, very clear, we see some of these things that can be predicted. But some of the other things, a bit hard to see. It's like trying to read the name on the side of a ship as it passes through a fog. You know, as historical events unfold and the fog of history rises, we can make out more and more of the letters in the name, but we're still not to a point where we can identify every move of every battle described in Daniel's 11th chapter. So just just be careful trying to guarantee and pin it on something. There there are some big picture things, and at, towards the end of the lesson we, we'll look at that, uh, that we can pin and say concretely, yes, this is that, but uh, just be careful as we as we go through. Okay, so on Tuesday's lesson, we're looking at verses 16 to 28, which describe pagan and papal Rome. I want to focus in on verses 21 and 24, where it speaks of peace and deception. You know, history has a way of leaving single words that encapsulate tectonic shifts in social, economical and political direction. Words like glasnost, perestroika, 9-11, apartheid, or maybe coronavirus. (laughs) Each word represents uh, like an ideological tsunami that has changed modern history for better or worse. And as we move our gaze towards the sobering but exciting events that are about to take place on earth, Daniel also gives us a single word that is loaded with powerful meaning. His word is shalvor. Now, the word shalvor, or or derivatives of it, are only uh, used in this particular chapter twice, and that's in verses 21 and 24. And it's, it's around the concept of the word peace, so when I, I'm just going to read verses 21 and 24, and uh, you'll hear the word peace or peaceably in there. Verse 21, And in his place shall arise a vile person, to whom they will not give the honour of royalty, but he shall come in peaceably, there it is, and seize the kingdom by intrigue. And then down in verse 24, He shall enter peaceably, this one is bishelvor, peaceably, even into the richest places of the province. Okay, so... We see that word shalvor, the Hebrew word, in there a couple of times. We also see it in Daniel's 8th chapter, where we see a a description of a proud, cunning, and deceptive worldwide power that will exist in the last days of Earth's history, or in the times of the statue's toes in Daniel chapter 2. This power will prosper and thrive and display mighty power, but its power will actually come from others. And Daniel also says that this powerful entity, which already exists in our world today, will cause deceit to prosper, and by peace shall destroy many. There's that word shalvor again. And by peace shall destroy many. Now we we know from studying the rest of Daniel and, and Revelation, we know that the power that's being talked about here is the Church of Rome. And it's saying that the Church of Rome, by peace, shall destroy many. But you know, the question is, how on earth can peace be used to destroy? Aren't peace and prosperity the ultimate protectors of humanity? We know if we dig deeper, we find that the original Hebrew word that Daniel used and translated here as peace is the Hebrew word shalvor. Now, most Hebrew language scholars agree that the word shalvor in Daniel 8.25 is describing peace or prosperity, but in very deceptive and destructive forms. In fact, the, the Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, very respected concordance, provides definitions of you know every ancient Hebrew word in the Bible, it actually lists the very first definition of shalvor as security, genuine or false. 
That's interesting. In, in light of our study so far through the book of Daniel, this definition should raise our eyebrows because we've clearly seen in the histories of Babylon, Medo-Persia and Greece that false security, parading as true security, is one of the most deceptive and destructive forces in history. I mean, you think about it, uh, you know, when the king Belshazzar's there having his feast in, uh, in the earlier chapters of Daniel, he's having this great feast and the, everything looks secure. You know, he's promised security to Babylon. It's got these great walls around. They've got wealth and, and everything they need. But outside the walls are the armies of Media, Media and Persia wanting to break in. But he's saying, no, everyone, we've got peace. We've got peace. But, but that, that sleepiness that comes when you think you've got peace actually leads to your destruction because you're not alert. And we know that the, the armies broke into Babylon that night and, and killed the king and, and uh, destroyed the place. So peace can destroy when it's false peace. So according to Daniel's writings and a clear study of history, you know, this deceptive form of shalvor, this false peace and security, has already repeatedly and will soon once again destroy many nations. Today, nations dread insecurity above any other fear. And man, haven't we seen that in the last week? World leaders run to and fro across the face of the planet, frantically trying to negotiate deals that will ensure economic and military security for their people. As Shakespeare, you know, he famously penned, all the world's a stage. And as an audience of citizens, we watch as new laws are rapidly passed to, to do what? To improve security. Yet they simultaneously remove our collective freedoms, they undermine morality and ethics, and it's all done under the pretense of delivering world peace and providing us with increased economic and personal security. Or is it all just shalvor? Interesting. You know, we, we are surrendering our once cherished morality and freedoms for somewhat of an apparition, a false sense of security, because there's more to being secure than having robust borders, which of course are under lockdown in many parts of the world at the moment, and it makes us feel secure, but there's more to being truly secure than that. You know, economic prowess, that's not the answer. Employment, health care and a formidable military, great things, wonderful benefits. They're necessary and they're powerful. In fact, our armed forces and, and you know, our medical knowledge is more powerful and, and, and greater now than it has been in any other time in Earth's history. But Daniel tells us they won't be enough. The coming crisis won't be won by the kingdom with, uh, like with the highest walls, the fastest armies, the most skilled generals, the best technological weapons, the best health care, or the farthest reaching economic sanctions. And nor will the outcome hinge on political alliances, stock markets, gold reserves, or even the ability to print more money. Ultimately, it won't even be about nations and borders. As Daniel presents so simply and without any room for error, the next empire is not of this world. And you know, as we study the book of Daniel, we're able to unmask this false security that uh, is being promised in so many places around the world. Now, don't get me wrong. We need to follow the rules of the land. We need to follow the health directives we need to follow the travel directives and, and all these other things that, that do actually protect us. They do give us security. But we, as Bible-believing Seventh-day Adventists, we know that this form of security is not the ultimate security. The ultimate security is having faith in God and holding on to Him. You know, we, we have these headlines, sensational headlines, that come into us through emails and the news. You know, must read this email. World economy going to crash this year or 
Uh, invest in gold before June 30. You won't regret it. Uh, World War Three is imminent. You know, these, they have these hype um, sort of conspiracy headlines that come out. And, you know, the Bible definitely foretells worldwide catastrophic end-time events without giving specific dates, I might add. The days before Christ's return will be traumatic and we must watch and act with God-given wisdom. But we are not to fear the coming crisis. One day, economic and military doomsayers will guess the right dates. The big economic crash will come. However, even then, the only thing that will carry us through is a mind fortified with the truths of the Bible and a daily relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that has carried any of God's people through history, and we need that daily relationship. You know, the time's coming when it won't matter whether our earthly treasures are invested in shares or gold or US dollars or real estate or even tins of beans or <laughs> rolls of toilet paper. Only those who are under his wings will get through the final crisis safely. So the next time that you have a, like a conspiracy-prompted, sickening fear of the future, remember God's cure in Isaiah 8, 12 to 14, where he says, Do not say a conspiracy concerning all that this people call a conspiracy, and nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. The Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. He will be as a sanctuary. In this crazy world, which seems to be getting crazier by the day. Let Jesus be your sanctuary. Let Jesus be your sanctuary. You know, I mentioned that Daniel 11 is an audio commentary and not a vision. So what is Daniel actually seeing while this is occurring? What is he looking at while he's hearing this audio commentary in chapter 11? Well, chapter 10 actually tells us. Let's have a look in chapter 10, verses 5 and 6. We looked at it in last week's lesson. Chapter 10, 5 and 6. This is where Daniel is looking. I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with gold of Euphaz. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. Where was Daniel looking? Daniel is looking at Jesus. Through all the commentary of the wars and the problems that are outlined in Daniel 11, Daniel has his eyes fixed where? On Jesus. You know, what a beautiful lesson that is for us as we live through these days. In fact, the days that Daniel was talking about, we're now living through. Let's keep our eyes fixed firmly on our Saviour, like Daniel did. I can hear someone saying, Julian, we're getting near the end of the, the study and you haven't told us who the kings of the north and the south are. <laughs> Look, there's still much for us to learn, but... Thursday's lesson gives an excellent overview of the current identification of these powers. I'll leave you to read that in your own time. It's a really good overview. So what have we learned from Daniel's 11th chapter? Number one, God is in control. Number two, Jesus is going to win. And number three, we have nothing to fear. As was so beautifully penned by Ellen White over a hundred years ago, we have nothing to fear for the future, except as we shall forget the way the Lord has led us and his teaching in our past history. Let's not forget how God has led us as a church, in our personal lives, in our families' lives, and his teachings, his doctrines in our past history. Let's hold on to them and we'll have nothing to fear for the future. We have nothing to fear. As the 19th century English poet Sarah Williams wrote in her poem, The Old Astronomer, she said, 
I have loved the stars too truly to be fearful of the night. Jesus himself told us that in the last days of earth's history, men's hearts will fail them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. How true is that today? Men's hearts failing them for fear. But 1 John 4.18 tells us that perfect love casts out fear. Friends, God's love is the only antidote for the fear that so many are peddling and feeling today. I encourage you, go out and share God's love in practical ways. Bring hope and healing to people. Share God's love and his present truth with other people because it is needed now more than ever before in earth's history. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you that you love us so much that you've foretold the future for us. Lord, we are so blessed. Our eyes are seeing and our ears are hearing the things that were foretold. Uh, the things that our grandparents and great-grandparents wanted to see, but they didn't. And we're seeing them now. Lord, we are so grateful for that. And, and as you said, in, as Jesus said in uh, John 13, 19 and 14, 29, I tell you these things before they happen so that when they do happen, you might believe. And Lord, we thank you that you love us so much to give us this warning, to give us this peace that comes with it. Lord, please cast out all fear from our hearts and help us just to rely fully on you as we go out to share hope and healing through your love and your word, through your truth with the people around us in these uncertain times. Thank you for hearing our prayer, Father, because we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.